I chose Tulane's Executive MBA program as a means to gain skills in business law, management, finance, and value creation. Almost immediately after graduation, I was promoted to a chief judge role. Now, I am Chief Judge Tamia Gordon. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There's a big difference between living in New Orleans and being a tourist in New Orleans. Tourists do all kinds of fun things that most of us who live here don't. They go on swamp tours, on ghost tours, they drink hurricanes and hand grenades, they wear beads when it's not Mardi Gras, and when they're wandering around the French Quarter with a big-ass beer, do you know that a huge number of them are paying $15 for a self-directed tour of a place on Dauphine Street called the Museum of Death? The Museum of Death has been open since 2014. It's a collection of artifacts, yeah, related to death. Not the quiet kind of peaceful death you might wish for, after all, life well lived. That would presumably not interest as many people as the museum's body bags, autopsy videos, skeletons, crime scene photos, serial killer artwork, and much more. The co-manager of the French Quarter's Museum of Death is Zach Fraser. Zach, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Now, most of us don't want to confront death, least of all our own. We're predominantly concerned with staying alive for as long as we can. To do that, we take regular precautions like wearing seat belts and evacuating in the face of a major hurricane. And we also try to stay healthy. Uh, Today, that means, among other things, watching our diet. Foods from kale to kombucha that were once the province of hippies and health food stores are now widely accepted as nutrients that promote health and are readily available in supermarkets across the country. If you're not familiar with kombucha, it's a fermented tea. It contains probiotic enzymes that are allegedly beneficial for gut health. Here in New Orleans, you can buy a locally brewed kombucha called Insanity. The tea in Insanity is spelled T-E-A. The founder and owner of Insanity Kombucha is Jordi Figueres. Jordi, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. (laughs) Now, Zach, Oh boy, the Museum of Death seems like a natural fit for New Orleans. We have a very rich second-line culture that is built around rituals of death and uh, our many social aid and pleasure clubs, as well as being cultural and Mardi Gras organizations, are historically burial societies. We have ghost tours, we celebrate Marie Laveau, and we embrace voodoo. In each of these ways, we are completely different from every other city in America. So you can imagine my surprise when I discovered that the New Orleans Museum of Death is part of a larger Museum of Death operation. The original museum was in San Diego, California before it moved to its current West Coast location on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. The Museum of Death is about the last business I expected to be adopting the chain store model of expansion. (laughs) What's the connection between the Hollywood and the New Orleans Museums of Death? Um, 
So it's completely different, both of them. We all have uh, completely different artifacts in each location because we only have original things, so obviously you know, no reproductions <laughs> or anything Didn't such as that. Um, so yeah, it, it actually just came out of necessity. We had so many things uh, in our one location that we couldn't even hold it. So we just had to open up another one to fill it with, essentially. Um, but that being said, New Orleans is a great city, as you mentioned previously. Uh, it kind of falls right in between the cemetery tours, the ghost tours. People come through already with the macabre on the mind. So they come find us, and it works out wonderful. People love it. So, Zach, <laughs> where do you get the great things that are in the Museum of Death? Um, well, it's a variety of ways, to be honest with uh, you. Um, legal? Uh, okay, mostly, a, mostly it's all above board. You were yes. pausing there, and that's what got me thinking. <laughs> um, a lot of it's through donations. You know, uh, been being uh, doing this as long as we have, 30 years, as you mentioned, uh, people come and find us with stuff. They come through the museum, maybe uh, they've had something in their closet or in their attic that's been there for years, and they forget yeah, about it. Or, yeah, yeah, and they don't know what to do with it. So the museum's a great place for people to come and maybe donate something uh, so it can be exhibited. Other people can enjoy it, and it can be taken care of and uh, 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 curated in, in a nice, creative, artistic manner. Now, Zach, just to, be, just to clarify, we're not talking about a center that talks to you about the afterlife and spirituality. That's no, different. no, no, no. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't cover any uh, anything religious, anything spiritual. That's a whole can of worms and whole many other museums. Do you have a subsidiary that does that? Maybe in, <laughs> not in yet. Booty not yet. or something? Not yet. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think a lot of people come in maybe expecting that. And so that, that kind of is, um, I wouldn't say an issue, but it is, it is something that we do deal with. People come in and say, well, you don't have this, you don't have that. And I say, well, you know, they have the voodoo museum. Yes, you can go there right. and you can kind of get, and get that taste in Cathedral, if you wanted the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, what we try to do is stand alone in, in what we present and in our artifacts and, and you know, our information. Yes, fight so. off the competition. Yeah, that's, that's what well, that's I like true. to think about with you. Now, Jordy, kombucha is kind of like the podcast of health drinks. Uh, anybody with a phone and an internet connection can make a podcast. All you need to make kombucha is tea and a scoby, which is a, oh, a kind of a chemical fermentation starter. There is, of course, a big difference between a podcast you record on your phone and This American Life. Similarly, there's homemade kombucha, and then there's the professionally manufactured product you find in stores. Where would you say Insanity Kombucha is on that timeline between making it at home and becoming the, the Coca-Cola of kombucha? Well, so I will say that the line is very... It's very fine between these two concepts, and for sure that commercial kombucha, it's kind of similar to the home, homebrew kombucha. However, we take more care, making sure that the alcohol content is less than 0.5%, plus like we put together a bunch of uh, checkpoints for making sure that the final product is really healthy, and it's not poisoning, and it's safe to consume. I feel that that will be like the main uh, difference. However, like what will be the technique of brewing, it's exactly the same with larger amounts. But it, it will be what you just say, like you just need sugar and tea and water and then a part of like a starter and you can ferment a batch of kombucha that then you can bottle and you can sell it if you follow like all the proceeds. And it sounds like you got started where a lot of successful stories have started at that, uh, 
that food incubator out in Norco, right? Yes, that's true. So uh, I started first like working actually from a commercial kitchen here in New Orleans before I moved to Norco. Um, the problem with that is that that was not an FDA-approved kitchen, so I could do like the farmers market, and I could do like self-distribution, and I could, you know, like start um, testing like a business, but I could not sell it like commercially, like being in grocery stores or being like in restaurants or things like that. So after being doing it for a year, testing it, making all the analytics that needs to be done for being commercial, like working with the health department, and uh, when everything I had it together, then I was able to move to Norco, to the Ideal Enterprise. That is like a food incubator here in New Orleans. Uh, there is only two in Louisiana, so if someone is listening to us, uh, has this idea, we need more food incubators. But the other one is uh, tied to LSU, is it? Yes, exactly. The other one is like LSU Agricultural Center. So. Now, you're from Spain originally. That's correct. Is kombucha a big thing in Spain? Actually, it's becoming right now, but for sure that America has been uh, first on the on the race. So, yeah, something a that... A great kombucha race. I like <laughs> yes. that. <laughs> so, it's getting popular right now in Spain, but I will say for sure that there is like few years of delay in comparison here in America. And Jordy, if you're at that point where you're trying to decide if you're going to scale and make it bigger and such, what about funding? Are you self-funded? Are you bootstrapped? Or? Well, so I've been bootstrapping till now. Um, from now on, actually, I got a small loan that I'm getting that check this Friday. Wow, I guess we'll all go. That's great. <laughs> I know. So I'm very excited to see what can I do you know, with more capital and being able to scale. Um, but yes, for uh, since now it's been just bootstrapping, self-funding. Zach, do you use your events, your space there for events? I was just thinking how bizarre that would be. <laughs> We've definitely had people ask. Uh, I get calls all the time, weddings, uh, weddings. what have you, yeah. receptions. Um, but no, we don't. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one, we just don't really have the space. Um, it's a pretty good-sized building, but most of it is going to be artifacts, very various things that people can't touch. Uh, we also don't have photography in the museum, so that's kind of a deal breaker. Even if we were to have events, you can't take pictures, so what's the point? Um, but yeah, so that's usually what we tell folks. But yeah, we've never had any events there. Um, I think they might have hosted maybe a couple little things like in the Hollywood location, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, well, now, now yeah. Jordy um, knows who his, his market is. Do you have a target market? And how do you go get it? Is it like anti-social media? Well, what would it be? I'm trying to picture um, this. Yeah. Well, uh, to be honest, it, it's funny you say that because we don't do any advertising. We never have through the duration of, of us being being a museum. Uh, people find us, and it's it's kind of weird, and it's and it's great. Uh, people love this stuff with you know, well, as you mentioned, the podcasts, um, all the true crime, all that. Oh, yeah. People love that. There's all the documentaries, the TV shows, especially with like the streaming services you have now. People have access to all this stuff. Um, so, logical next step is, well, I want to see it in person. So they come to the museum and they get to see uh, a lot of the stuff that they hear about and then they, they get to see the tangible artifacts to go with it. And is it mainly tourists? Uh, I would say uh, predominantly, yeah. Um, but that being said, we get locals. We definitely get repeat customers. I've, I, know, I know folks that have been there four, five, six times, um, bring their friends, they have friends in town, so they'll come through. and. Uh, yeah, it's really great to see some familiar faces sometimes. <laughs> Let me ask you both this question. Uh, what's it going to take to make you uh, truly profitable? I assume 
Um, I'll start with Zach. I mean, you're. Uh, I assume you can pay the rent and things like that. Uh, me personally? Oh no! Oh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> still working on that. I have no, your no, no. no the, the museum itself. Um, it brings in a certain amount of revenue. Uh, yeah, um, we get a lot of folks. Like as I just as I said, like it's a it's a huge thing. Um, it's a, a big. Booming, I guess. Um, I don't. I don't want to say that it's it's a fad or something because people have been loving this stuff no, for a long yeah, time. Have been dying but forever. it just it finds <laughs> right, really. of course. Uh, it, it just seems as now it's it's almost um, pop culture at this point. And so I, I, I've seen like a lot of people, young people, you know, people that love this stuff and find it very interesting um, in a healthy way. Let's say that. Um, and so there's definitely no shortage of folks coming through the museum. That's for sure. And Jordy. Um, at what level would you start to feel like you're making money? A certain amount of sales? Certain. Uh... Well, I mean, making money is very relative. I feel. Um, I'm. I'm always feeling that I'm in the line of being profitable. But it's always, you know, like then when you do another step, there is so many things that you didn't count for, and then it's always like, oh, I'm not as profitable as I was expecting. But I will say that as today, it's already profitable. The company. Um, however, um, yes, it, it means to have like a bigger operations, like on the beverage industry, it's all about volume. Uh, you have like a crazy competitors out there with like crazy size manufacturers. So uh, my idea is to be just a local middle sized small brewery. I'm not trying really to go national or anything like that. I, w I was thinking introducing other products. Uh, under the same umbrella, instead of just expanding and getting like oh, a, I see. a huge size. Some sort of vertical uh, movement? Uh, yeah, sort comments. of, you know, we know how to ferment things. So there is so many things that you can ferment. So maybe we should explore like other fermented products or things like that. I don't think that there is many people doing that in the South. And every day there is more evidence from doctors for scientists saying that it's really good for your health. Um, so I think that that may be the option that we're going to go. Um, but yes, like we are not going to do it till kombucha. It's bringing us like a certain amount of revenue that we feel encouraged to start another product, to bring another product to but the market. But of course, Jody, you could because you have a two-lane MBA. Here we go. You That's are right. scary. That's a, <laughs> what an opportunity to put in this blog. There's a... Does <laughs> that... Can you give me an idea? Because now I'm really intrigued. I, I walk in the door. What's the tour like? Um, well, it is, it is self-guided. So, um, Do you have the headphones like in a museum? No, no um, it, it's pretty self-explanatory, um, <laughs> as we like to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the information is going to be there. We're around uh, to definitely answer any questions, if you need a hand with something, additional information, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you go at your own pace, read as much or as little as you would what like. What would I see, the, the first room? Right, well, the first room, we start you off, uh, start you off easy with some uh, bones, taxidermy, um, specimens, that kind of thing. Um, human, animal, and it's all real, 100% authentic. Um, after that, we move you on to the bulk of our collection, which is the serial killer letters, the artwork, artifacts related to true crime cases, um, and, and that sort of thing. Now, Zach, I have to ask you this. We, we are were your parents morticians? How did, how did, you, get, how did you get into <laughs> right. get, what's the interesting right. death management? I'm um, not even sure here. I get that a lot, actually. Um, but no, Do you I, have docents? That would be yeah. the most ridiculous thing. Um, it, it's kind of funny because, uh, I mean, I've always kind of leaned towards more of like, you know, darker, macabre, things like that myself. Um, 
but I, I just remember growing up, and this might have something to do with it. I remember my mom watching all of the Unsolved Mysteries, uh, you know, Cold Case, whatever. She would watch that stuff. And as a little kid, I was like, oh, I'm not really into it. But I think somehow it, it oh, seeped yeah. into my DNA. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Zach, lay down on the sofa. I think we have more to talk about. This <laughs> right, is, uh, right. wow, that um, is something. Yeah. And um, uh, Jordy, what does the day-to-day look like for you? I mean, um, I'm turning, I've got a couple of different pictures in my head. Okay. Uh, probably it's the picture that you don't have in your head. Okay. <laughs> I'm picturing you with a big uh, oar and, uh, and a bucket somewhere, but that's not right. <laughs> okay, you're not that wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure that, like, the first year it was me. Like, the company was me. I was a bottle. I was a kombucha. I was an accountant. I was everything. So that was pretty stressful. Right now, I'm having three employees, uh, so that thing took a lot of stress from me. Um, and right now, I'm trying to get away from what is production. Uh, however, I'm still uh, quite involved. I'm still being like the main brewer. So I don't do the bottling, but I do like the brewing. Um, I do the sales, I do the accounting, I do the social media together. So yes, it's a little bit of everything. Like my calendar is like, uh, Monday, Monday harvest kombucha, Thursday bottling and brewing, uh, Tuesday go and give away samples, like Friday is delivering, uh, so it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> Do you like that? Uh, it seemed like more interesting uh, that way. Yeah, so before the kombucha I was programming, I'm an engineer. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not have thought that. Yes. That's pretty good. Yes. Um, There's no people involved in that other part. That's, right? that's the whole deal I feel that why I started kombucha. Is like I really, I was a little tired of being by myself behind the computer. Like my day-to-day was arriving to the desk, putting my headphones, and I started programming. What, it was easy and but yes, I didn't like like the outcome. Like sometimes I was seeing myself programming for like a plastic surgery company, the next day for a used car, you know. <laughs> and it was a little bit what I'm doing with my life. And at the end, like when you were quitting this job, you could not get the code, so you could not show it. So it was very, you know, like always building your own brand type of thing, uh, but with legal constraints because you cannot show code that you've been doing for someone else. So. I was feeling like always like, oh, I'm not that happy. I'm starting from scratch again and again and again and again. And it was like, I'm getting older. Now I, you feel like you're building something. Yeah, now yeah. for sure that I, I feel working way harder than ever in my life. I see like I need to have 10,000 skills when before I just need to focus in one skill. Um, but I think that overall I'm pretty much more happy. I see that I'm doing something for myself. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Jordi Figueres from Insanity Kombucha and Zach Fraser from the Museum of Death. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Zach Fraser. He's the co-manager of the New Orleans Museum of Death in the French Quarter, and Jordi Figueres, and he's the founder and owner of Insanity Kombucha. Now, Zach and Jordi, this is the part of the show we call the interview. <laughs> when you own or run a business, as you both do, you're inevitably gonna have to hire people. When you do, you only have a limited amount of conversation with a potential hire to decide if this person is going to be a good fit for you and, and your company. Lately, there's been an interesting trend in the job interview. It consists of asking job applicants questions that test their ability to think through a problem. 
I have a list of 16 of these probing interview questions in front of me, and I'm going to ask you to each pick a number between 1 and 16, and I'll ask you the question, and I want you to tell me how you'd answered it. And who, who should go first here? I guess Jordy, because death comes last. I think is a... <laughs> Sounds good to me. Okay, so 1 through 16. Do you have a number? Uh, 8. 8. That's always a lucky number. Oh, this is so perfect for you, Jordy. If Hollywood made a movie about your life, whom would you like to see play the lead role, and what would the movie be called? <laughs> wow. Um, I'm really bad at movies and, <laughs> and persons, but I will say Borat. Borat! <laughs> oh, I didn't see that coming. Yes, I know that that's already a title that it's out there, but I will say Lost in Translation. Oh! What a great combination. Yes, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. <laughs> Can't use eight. You yeah, have to use uh, one of the other 15. Thankfully, thankfully. Yep. Uh, number five. Tell me about the worst boss you've ever had. Oh, man. Been uh, so many? Well, not, not really. I've worked a few jobs in my life. Uh, I, I, thankfully, I, I have uh, had a lot of good bosses. Um, I don't have a witty anecdote or, or anything to go about that. Um, I, I did have a boss, however, he was, he was uh, say he was good at micromanaging, which is something I try not to do as a boss. Uh, maybe learn some lessons from that, I guess. Um, he was all in your business? Yeah, 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 he was, you know, do this, do that, like every little thing throughout the day. So I try not to be like that as a, as a manager, because I know how that feels like to be an employee, and it's not fun. <laughs> and yet you don't kill them. I don't. Which is good. Well, not There's, yet. Uh, no, try to get we'll them see. as a display. Then, uh, Jordy, <laughs> if um, if I asked this question in an interview, what do you think someone's answer would tell you about them? Uh, so I guess if um, the question I just asked you about the movie and who's going to play you, what do you th when you heard that response, what would you be thinking of as an owner? I mean, I will think that he's a funny dude. Yeah. I will think Handsome. that yes, um, he takes things with humor, um, nothing super personal or you know like serious. But at the end, he's there to make things happen, kind of thing. So yeah, that's kind of what I will take it. Sounds like you would hire yourself. Yeah. So that's. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> This is kind of a circuitous questioning. All right, now Zach, I'll have to go back to you in this this uh, busybody uh, micromanaging uh, owner. If um, if you ask this question in an interview, what do you think someone's answer would tell you about them? So somebody says, "I had this boss that just uh, you know wouldn't leave me alone. He was a micromanager." What do you think that would tell you about the candidate? Um, I would think it would it would mean the person is perceptive in how they would like to be treated as an employee, which, which I think is important. And um, I think it's easy for people when they're in that position of manager or owner or such to, to be able to like dictate what these people are doing on a, on a minute by minute basis when really it's not about that. You wanna have your employees knowing what to do. So I like to show, not tell. Them answering the question the way I did would, would make me know that they understand the relationship of a uh, employee-employer basis. It might be kind of an independent self-starter. Yeah, kind of a... and so, you know, someone who can honestly, like, think for themselves and know what to do and not how to be told what to do. And I think that's important. Zach, what, uh, the Museum of Death, does it have any plans going forward to become bigger or change its direction? So we're always getting new stuff, so I think it uh, is rewarding to our repeat customers. So maybe they've been a year ago or two years ago, and they can come through and see something new 
on their on their repeat visit. Um, that being said, uh, I'm, I'm sure that there are some uh, talks of maybe opening a third location at some point in the future. Zach, uh, you talked about repeat visitors. Uh, is that <laughs> is that how you got the job? Uh, actually, just... that is a, a great question. Yes, that is how I did get the job. <laughs> um, so originally, I was living in Los Angeles, uh, where, where the original location is, and uh, I was going to school at the time, and I happened to uh, hear about the original Museum of Death on Hollywood Boulevard. It's been there for 23, 24 years now at this point. Did you just keep showing up? Yeah, well, I went through one time, and I really enjoyed it. And then um, circumstances, I ended up here in New Orleans, and lo and behold, walking through the French Quarter, there's another Museum of Death. And I'm thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. I'm going to check it out. Been to the, the other one. Uh, started talking to the then manager at the time. Told him my story. Uh, they were looking for somebody to hire. He, he, he liked what I had to say. And uh, he's like, you want a job here? And I was living in New Orleans without a job. So I was like, yeah, I'll take it. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny because at the time I was like, this is a great opportunity, but it was almost like temporary in my head, uh, how I felt about now it. Now it's been I, 33 years. Well, still right, working at the yeah. Deaf Museum. And I'm they, going to retire soon. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and you, do, you ever, do you ever get asked things like, um, I would... It's like like about Hannibal, things like that. Oh yeah, you know why don't you have anything on a Hannibal Lecter? Um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, we do have things on Jeffrey. Dahmer. Oh, you do. I'm um, sorry. I uh, said that. Fictional There's... fictional characters. Yes, that is that is a question. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I try to be nice. Uh, what? And, um, say, well, that's a fictional fictional character. We we do right. real life thing. We yeah, do. This you is know. more of a reality uh, kind of. Well, yeah, yeah, and, they, and, they, and like sometimes you know that doesn't really compute, but. Uh, now, Jordy, I would think uh, uh, that when all the things are just spinning around in your mind, when you think of growing, is distribution kind of one of the big issues? Oh, thank you for asking me that, because right now it's like one of the things that I'm working harder. So currently we are doing delivery with ourselves with a refrigerated truck that we have. So it's like every Friday we hit the road and we go to all, all our clients that they put an order, we deliver the kombucha, so they have like fresh kombucha. However, we see that that's not the model that we're going to follow for growing. Uh, so yes, we are thinking in moving, having like a distributor that it really it can expand our sales uh, outside New Orleans. Uh, but and yeah, we are having like hard time actually like finding a good fit for us. You're looking for like kind of a, a wholesaler. Is yeah, would be? Yes, it's just like you know, like who bring like the producers to restaurants and bars, coffee shops, things like that. So yeah, it's like a wholesale distributor. Um, so if anyone is there and is looking for a kombucha company, feel free to contact us at Insanity Kombucha. And yeah, I'm sure this that we can. Is, this talk is something about the show has never been. Is it really is like an opportunity to find, find employees? <laughs> they, uh, it's never late for us. <laughs> We've been making out to lunch. For a number of years now, I've gotten to meet people involved in all kinds of occupations, from underwater welding to picking up dog poop, but I can safely <laughs> say that this is the first show about death and fermentation. Uh, <laughs> you don't hear either of these subjects discussed very often over lunch, so to get to talk about them both on the same show has been a real treat. Zach and Jordy, it has been great to meet with you. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today and out to lunch. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. It's been a pleasure.
My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Zach Fraser. He's the co-manager of the New Orleans Museum of Death. And Jody Figueres, he is the founder and owner of Insanity Kombucha. You can find out more about death and insanity by following the links on our website. It's neworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify. And you can find all of our podcasts at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos in this show on itsneworleans.com, on It's New Orleans Out to Lunch Facebook page, and on Instagram. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 